God were stuck. For centuries, they lived as slaves to terrifying taskmasters whose cruelty was only exceeded by their power. In these dark days, God's people gave birth to children who would inherit nothing more than misery. Their strongest ally was a God whom they had assumed had forgotten them. Far from forgotten, the people of God were rescued by the might of his hand. He put their masters to open shame and led them into the wilderness. Though they were set free, they weren't yet living free. They started to live as slaves to their own sin. What happened next reverberates for over 3,000 years of history to this current day. Like a loving and patient father, God instructed his children, giving them the Ten Commandments. We are in commandment number six, thou shall not murder or thou shall not kill. Uh, Deuteronomy 5.17 says you shall not murder. Uh, there are some that, some translations that say thou shall not kill. And as we go through this, I, I hope that you hear that there's a distinction between killing and murder. There are laws that are biblical laws, and there are laws that man has made, and there are struggles that we have with the man-made laws, and we seem to have ignored what God's biblical laws are. But I want to begin by just reminding you in 1 Samuel 15, where through Samuel, God instructed Saul to kill or destroy this enemy. And not just the enemy, but everything that the enemy had. That's the wrath of God. And God understands the difference between murder and killing then. So if you'll turn to Genesis, the ninth chapter, beginning in the fifth verse. We read these words. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whomever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. To demand reckoning, God means he will reach out to each person, and you will each be held accountable for your actions, for his or her actions, and as we will see later on, for your words also. You see, we cannot harm or kill another human being without answering to God. Here God explains why murder is wrong. To kill a person is to kill one made in God's image. All people possess the qualities that distinguish them from animals. We have morality, we have reason, we have creativity, and we have self-worth. God wants us to recognize his image in people. The sixth commandment is, thou shall not. And again, some translations say murder, some say kill, but God's meaning is to take an innocent life. However, as it's often translated to kill and then later to murder, some people have decided that God is saying, don't kill anything. 
There are six words for kill in the Hebrew language. One of them is related to Aramaic. Many simply state that you're not to kill anything, as I said before. Therefore, there are those who might say, you can't kill animals because God said thou shalt not kill. We are emotionally, we begin to interpret God's word where if you read scripture, you will see he makes it quite clear. The operative word in Hebrew belongs to a Semitic domain of kill, but specifically, it translates to mean to take an innocent life. In Numbers five, uh, in Numbers thirty-five, it addresses murder and manslaughter as intentional or unintentional. The deeper understanding of this word prevents the seemingly inconsistency between the ca- uh, the commandment and God's sanction of capital murder or capital punishment. The Mosaic law is consistent in asserting that capital punishment is a form of justice sanctioned by God. But yet today we have so much struggle with that. We have those that are against any kind of form of capital punishment. Yet so many of those same people are pro-abortion. It's mind-boggling how chaotic we have allowed some situations to exist today. Negligence that threatens another's life is considered a violation of this commandment. Aside from negligence, the sixth sixth commandment is deeply relevant in this age. Humanity has overthrown God. And humans are left without dignity and significance. Without God, we are only animals. The law of the jungle applies to us then. It's the survival of the fittest which is how we see so many of these young people belonging to gangs operate today. Most of you know in the 40 years that I spent as a law enforcement officer, I had an opportunity to debrief many officers that were involved in shootings of all kinds. We looked at the totality of the scenarios. We looked at the tactics involved. We looked at the legal aspects. We looked at the policy aspects of it. And most importantly, we helped those officers move forward as they were involved in a very, very unique exception to the everyday work of police, being a police officer, not just for them, but also for the stress on their families. I want to share some of those today as we go through this. And certainly this is not to make it about me, but just to make it about how strangely we have interpreted some of these commandments especially this commandment that God has given us. And some of these um, situations involve law enforcement officers, but you can take the same thing as you see as as we go through this and pertain it to those that are in the military, those that are at war. So an officer is involved in a shooting where a, a man was trying to take his life, actually trying to shoot him. He shoots the suspect in defense of his life, and he kills the suspect. As we're walking through the debriefing, he says these words that really made no sense to me. But he said, when I pulled that trigger, I killed my mom and dad. I thought, I I don't understand. He says, my mom and dad are very, very religious. He says, I called them a while ago. They're heartbroken. Because you see, I have committed a sin against God. I have broken that commandment, thou shalt not kill. We tried to explain to him there's 
evidence in the Bible that says that that's not so. That what you did was to protect your own life. And we offered to, can we visit with your mom and dad and help you? And he says, no, that'll just make it worse. What a horrible misunderstanding. And what a horrible tragedy that this officer goes through when he said, when I pulled the trigger, I killed my mom and dad. There's another officer that was involved in a shooting, and it was in the early hours of the morning. And as stressful and as chaotic as officer involves, or in thorough as officer involved shootings are, it was the next afternoon before everything was finished. He rushed home, he changed clothes, he took a shower, he wanted to meet his fourth grade son as he got off the bus. He met his son. He walked with his son to the house and he was explaining to his son what he had been involved in. And not in gory details, but that he was forced into a situation where he had to take another life. And when he finished the story, he asked his fourth grade son, so how do you feel? And the little boy looked at him and said, how are you, Dad? And he says, I'm, I'm fine. And he smiled. The little boy smiled and said, I'm good too then, Dad. Two days later in the class the little boy was in, the teacher, for whatever reason, I believe this was a Christian school too, for whatever reason, they were going over the fact that there, in her belief there was no difference between murder and killing. And so this little boy went home that day and asked his dad if he was a murderer. And he says, Dad called and we visited over the phone. I said, you know, you need to pray for that teacher. And he says, I'd rather do a lot of things to that teacher than pray for I said, be very, very careful of your thoughts. Because you're within biblical law with what you did. Forgive her. And move on. You said, you see, in our society today, we have moved God to being dead in the 19th century, which has led to the death of human dignity in the 20th century. We have placed God and his word in a box. The Bible is to be interpreted as what we feel it should be. The Bible is to be in many different boxes then because you'll have a box, I'll have one, somebody else will have another, and suddenly we have God, a sovereign God, and we have placed him in many different boxes when in reality he should never be placed in a box, especially a box that we have built. And as I said last Sunday, we have humanized God so that we can move him where we need him to be and to be what we need him to be rather than us being what he needs us to be. Interestingly, most of us are familiar with the definition of murder as it's reflected in various penal codes across this nation or, more importantly, as it's reflected in the TV shows and the movies that we see. If you struggle with what God is saying about this commandment, let me just read to you what we as humans have interpreted that for, for the, our life. In Texas, murder is in Penal Code Section 1902, and it reads as follows. Stay with me here. 
A person commits an offense if a person intentionally or knowingly causes the death of an individual or intends to cause serious bodily injury or commits an act clearly dangerous to human life that causes the death of an individual or commits or attempts to commit a felony other than manslaughter and in the furtherance of the commission or attempt or in the immediate flight from the commission or attempt, the person commits or attempts to commit an act clearly dangerous to human life that causes the death of an individual or knowingly manufactures or delivers a controlled substance, and there's a list of drugs, an individual dies as a result of injection, inhaling, ingestion, or introducing into an individual's body what causes death. Clear? You know, humans, we can take something and just make it so convoluted. And here God is quite simple, as you will hear in just a few minutes as we read his words as to what these things really mean. God is clear that if you have the intent to take an innocent life, It is murder. You know, malice is a form of evil intent that separates murder from killing. And in many states, there are acceptable forms of killing that lack that kind of evil intent. And there are exceptions to murder in the laws of the U.S. For example, protecting an innocent party, certain times a burglary of a residence, self-defense, etc., I I love the one where most penal codes are really clear about somebody breaking into your house during the nighttime, yet we have politicians that want to change the law that says, you know what, so what, somebody breaks into your house. Let them have whatever they want to take because it's insured, right? Therefore, it's really not something you should be concerned about. I just shake my head and go, you got to be kidding me. Even those that do not accept God and his existence or the authority of the Bible. They even recognize the need for laws like the laws that we have and especially like the laws God has set forth. There are times that deadly force can be used to accomplish a greater good. So a DPS trooper and several of his trooper friends are involved in a shooting situation where a suspect shot them at them over 20 times. None of them were hit. They shoot and kill the suspect. The DPS trooper that was involved in the shooting goes to the suspect's side, and he is rendering first aid. As the man looks up at him, looks him in his eyes, and says, I am dying, and takes his last breath. That officer did not want to do what he had to do to protect himself or the others. But yet now his thought was, what have I put my family through by protecting my life? Do you know that there are some officers that are involved and some military people that are involved in horrendous, chaotic, horrible-looking scenarios that say these words after they survive? My family would have been better off if I'd have been killed. That's sad. It's interesting to note, however, that these exceptions to these rules of protecting yourself are not an invention that we came up with as humans. They are simply a reflection of ancient biblical law. 
The Bible is the source of these modern laws, and the exceptions come straight from the pages of Scripture. An accidental killing. Exodus 21, beginning in verse 12. Anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. However, if he does not do it intentionally, but God lets it happen, he is to flee to the place I will designate. Numbers Numbers 35, beginning in verse 22. But if without hostility someone suddenly shoves another and throws something at him unintentionally or without seeing him drops a stone on him that could kill him and he dies, then since he was not his enemy and did not intend to harm him, the assembly must judge between him and the avenger of blood according to these regulations. The assembly must protect the one accused of murder from the avenger of blood and send him back to the city of refuge where he fled. Self-defense, Exodus 22, verse 2. If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck, struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. Protection of life of an, and of the uh, innocent person. Exodus 2, beginning in verse 11. One day after Moses had, Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. God did not judge Moses as a murderer because he was protecting the life of a slave. And then in Genesis 14, beginning in the 14th verse, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, He called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went to pursue them as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hoab, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. God did not judge Abram as a murderer because he was protecting the life of Lot. Abram portrays a couple of characteristics here that I think are really critical when we talk about those that protect this nation and protect our communities. You see, Abram had courage that came from God to face a powerful foe, and he was prepared for the task at hand. With Lot in trouble, he acted at once. He did not hesitate to figure out if he should get involved or if this was going to be a messy situation. You see, killing becomes murder when and only when it is not properly justified and the justifications are clear. We can use whatever force necessary to protect your life from a hostile engager and to save the life of an innocent person from such intimate, life-threatening danger. The difference between legal and illegal use of deadly force is really a matter of motive, a matter of intent a matter of justification, and these distinctions come directly from the Scriptures. You see, the first murder that happened didn't happen in isolation. It happened because Cain had chosen evil over good. Envy had set in, and envy is wrong. Cain killed his brother because he had what Cain did not. Abel had God's approval, and Cain envied his brother. Murder happens so often over the fact that someone has something that we want. 
It can be property, but often we envy people. Our pride gets in the way. There's jealousy that leads to anger, followed by an evil justification of one's actions. We say, it's not my fault. We say, he started it. I didn't like what he said. In Matthew 27, 18, we see the Jewish leaders arresting Jesus out of envy. Jesus had what these religious leaders wanted. Jesus had the respect and the following of the people. He had the insight of God. He knew the truth, and they did not. Their evil response was that they could not, if they could not have the things that they wanted, neither could he. So they set out to make sure that he fell. Look at another reason that many murders happen. And this is anger. In Psalms 37, verse 8, David warns us of acting out of anger. And then Jesus warns us in Mark 7, beginning in the 21st verse. From within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, eagerness for lustful pleasure, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. One year as we were doing a Kairos ministry in a prison, there was a young man that came up to me and he said, I enjoy this two days so far that we've spent together, but I know what I did. God cannot forgive me. I said, I, I don't understand. And he said, well, I killed somebody. And I said, have you asked him for forgiveness? He said, yes but I know what I did was wrong, and so why should he forgive me? And he said, I wrote a letter to the family asking them to forgive me. And I never heard back from them. And I think that's God's indication that I'm not to be forgiven. We talked about scripture, and I asked him, can you tell me a little more about the situation you're involved in? He says, yeah, I... I killed a person that I was told had killed my sister in a drug deal that went bad. I thought, oh. He says, but I killed the wrong person. That wasn't the person that killed her. I thought, ouch. We prayed. We reached out in scripture. We went through what God's word says. This young man truly repented of his sin. He teaches apologetics classes in prison now. He won't get out. There's another case that some of you may be familiar with, and that's Carla Faye Tucker, or the pickaxe murderer years ago. In a horrific scene, she brutally murdered especially this one lady that uh, she buried the pickaxe to where, as I understand it, you can just barely see the handle of the pickaxe. An ugly, ugly scene, one that my bride photographed. And I can only imagine the carnage in this room. Surely, if anybody deserved the death penalty, Carla Faye Tucker did. She was tried, convicted, and given the death penalty. While she was on death row, she found the Lord. She repented of her sin, and she was teaching Bible uh, classes to 
those inmates that were in prison. And the public cried out for her sentencing for the governor to pardon her. And Carla Faye Tucker said, what I did was a sin and it was wrong. And I've been judged, rightfully so. I deserve the death penalty. And other people said, think of how many people she can touch in prison. And Carla Faye Tucker said, that is not right. I can touch a lot of people, but I have to pay for my sin. It is clear what the Bible says. Many people were disappointed when she went eagerly to be put to death so she could be with the Lord, as she said. So often in the heat of the moment, we lash out, not just physically, but we also lash, lash out verbally. In James 3, 6, and then again in the eighth verse, we read this. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among many parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Satan uses our tongue to divide people and pit them against one another. Murder is a horrible sin, but you know what? Anger is also a sin. And what we say in anger, we will be judged on. We should love first. Think about why you get angry. As I said earlier, something has, somebody has something that you want. Someone is not doing what you wanted them to do or they're not doing it how you expected them to do it. And your pride tells you you deserve better. Anger keeps us from developing a spirit of pleasing God. Instead, we seek self. We're looking to please self. Scripture tells us to hold our tongue for it can destroy We should not speak in anger. We should not gossip. We should not envy. We should not slander out of pride. And we should not discipline out of anger. You will hear in the couples class, we will talk about Satan's tornadoes and some of the arguments. And sometimes when we have arguments and we get so mad, we say really dumb things. But we say them because we want them to be hurtful and we want to hurt that person. Such words as, I wish I'd never even met you. I wish I didn't know you very hurtful. But when you say, I wish you were dead, scripture is clear. You have committed murder in your heart. You see, so often we justify those statements because we're angry. When we speak in anger and act in anger or in pride or gossip or berate, we will be judged how we respond to situations, to challenges, to life in general, is a choice. We will be judged for those choices we make. It's easy to say, you made me angry. But it's your choice how you respond in, if you respond in anger. I love it when somebody says, well, they were, they were angry first. 
So I responded that way because they started it, and therefore it's not my fault. In Matthew 5, beginning in the 21st verse, Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said to the people long ago, do not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I tell you that if anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Jesus was telling us, I'm not doing away with the law, or nor am I adding to my own beliefs to it. Rather, he's given us an understanding of why God made the law in the first place. We are here to love one another, to forgive one another. Moses said, thou shalt not murder. Jesus is saying we should not become angry enough to murder. For we have committed murders in our heart with such anger. You see, the Pharisees read the law, and not having really murdered anyone, they felt righteous. Yet they were angry enough with Jesus that they would soon plot his death. We need to understand why God spoke these commandments to us. Take it back. To what his intent was when he spoke these commandments. And what he was saying about the relationships we were to have with one another. And how we are to love one another. You see, we will all be held accountable. For everything we say. For everything we do. For every angry moment we have. For every time we step away from his commandments and his law. In his love. Sometimes we struggle when we're in these situations. For a brief moment, it may feel good to be angry, to be vindictive. But that day that you are judged, it won't feel good to us. So one final story, an officer is in, went to visit a friend of his who was at his grandfather's check-cashing place. And that he, this officer and his friend, were talking about the fishing trip they were going to have the next day. So the officer was helping his grandfather count some money, or the friend was helping his grandfather count some money. And that friend said, I have a headache. I'm going to go next door to my grandfather's house and get some Advil. Can you stay here and watch my grandfather? And he said, the officer said, sure, what, what can I do? He says, well, you can help him count this money. And the officer, sitting at his table, was counting money, not looking forward. The grandfather stepped outside to smoke a cigarette. And suddenly this officer hears this gosh-awful commotion. And he looks up, and there's a man outside pistol-whipping the grandfather. And as he stands up, another man rushed into the room, gun in hand, shoved it to the officer's face, to which the officer grabbed. And now they're in a struggle down on the floor. And the officer said... As he and I talked, he says, I remember you guys saying, do not give up. Think about something that is so important to you that you're not going to quit. And he said, I begin to think about my little girl. It was Christmas time. And he says, I'm, they're not taking me from my little girl. He says, I don't know whether, where I got the strength, but I, gra- I had this gun with both hands, and now I had it in one, and I pulled it away, and I rolled over, and he was able to pull his gun from the back of his pants And he shot and killed the suspect. 
As he was getting up, the other suspect came in, the one that had been beating the grandfather, gun in hand, and pointed it at the officer, and the officer shot and killed him. There at the scene, as I get there, this officer has got blood all over him. So my first comment was to one of the homicide investigators. I said, can we get, get him out of these clothes, clean him up a little bit? And they said, yeah, we can, but we have to wait till the crime scene unit gets here. We need pictures of him as he is. So as that officer and I stood there, he looked at me and he said, uh, I asked him how he was doing. And he said he was doing fine. I'm thinking, man, that's a new definition of fine to me. But he said, I have a question for you. And so often we would get tactical questions as to how I did and all this kind of stuff. He says, I know you're a believer. He said, God can take these guys off this earth any way he wants to, any time he wants to. Can you tell me why I had to do it? And I responded. And those of you out there are going to think I had some real awesome biblical theological response for him. Yeah, you're wrong. I looked at him and I said, that is out of my pay grade, brother. And he smiled. And I said, but here's something I do know. God has something big planned for you. I hate that you went through this. But God was at work here. And he's going to be at work in the rest of your life. The officer got cleaned up. One of the homicide guys came up to me and he says, hey, have you looked at these guns? I said, no. He says, you got to look at this. He brought the two guns over. He says, these knuckleheads that were committing this crime, their guns were on safety. Because that officer described as, as he was trying to fight the guy that was on top of him, he says, I could see his fingers on the trigger. He's trying to pull the trigger. He's trying to kill me. The gun was on safety. We visited about divine intervention in some situations. Didn't make the scenario he was in any better. But so often we ask God why questions. Why me? Why am I going through this? When we should be asking God, what is it that you're doing in my life? What can I do to help you in this life? You see, the answer to the why question is usually God is correcting something in our life or deepening our relationship with him. We just need to figure out what it is and trust him and what is going on and be thankful for him when he takes us, gets us through those situations. You know, the Bible tells us something else about God and his commandments. In each of these relationship commandments that we'll be going through and the ones that we've been through, we know one thing. God loves us. Because he loves us, he wants us to be with him in heaven. Yet we are sinners, and he is holy. So how is that possible? It's real simple. Jesus Christ came into the world to take away our sins. He died in our place for our sins. No matter who you are or where you are or what you have done, God offers you forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Let's step on. 1 John 
chapter 1, verse 19 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all forgiveness, for all unforgiveness. Thank you.